0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message.
1: Hebrews 13, 18 through 25. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. This is the word of the Lord.
0: So we've been in the book of Hebrews since just a little bit after Easter last year, and uh, here we are at the last little tasty morsel of Hebrews. You know, it's like a carne asada burrito. And you get to the end. You got the little part that like forms almost a little cup where all the juices have collected. It's like that best little morsel at the end. And uh, this is the farewell section. It's the only part where we get any hints of who the author is, but we still don't know who he is. The divine author of Hebrews is, of course, the Holy Spirit. But who's the human author? Some have thought Paul, you probably have heard that before, the early church thought Paul. They think that partly because of verse uh, 23, it mentions Timothy, so you think Timothy and Paul go together. It's possible. Some have noticed some elements, though, in his writing that don't really seem like Paul. So some have said, well, maybe it's Apollos, He was very eloquent. Maybe it's uh, Luke or Barnabas writing for Paul. We don't know. What we do know is that he wrote this book with the most like incredible artistry, didn't he? And the way he connected all these intricate details of the Old Testament to point to Christ is just phenomenal. And we know not only did he love Christ and he loved God's word, but he also loved the people he wrote to right? He longs to return to them. You can see it here. And so he asks them to pray. He says, pray for us. Look at verse 18. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to act honorably in all things. Now, you guys might think that that's just some sort of formality, a way Christians say goodbye. It's like, see ya, pray for us. But no, take a look at verse 19. He says, no, seriously, pray for us. He says, I urge you the more earnestly to do this. He's like, if you're praying for me, pray harder. If you're not praying for me, start, right? And he says why. He says, in order that I might be restored to you sooner. And I was meditating on that passage, and I was just thinking, this is a great opportunity for us to be reminded that prayer changes things. Prayer changes actual outcomes. And some people are like, oh, prayer doesn't change things, it changes us. The Bible teaches that prayer changes actual outcomes. That's what he's saying, right? He says, pray for me in order that I might be restored to you the sooner. He's like, if you pray for me, you're going to see me sooner. If you don't pray for me, it might be a while, right? Prayer changes things. It changes actual outcomes. And I know as I say that, all of us can think of some very painful situations where God did not answer our prayer in the affirmative, right? We all have those. We all have those extremely painful no's to our prayer, but guys, that doesn't prove that prayer doesn't change things, right? C.S. Lewis made this point in an essay called The Efficacy of Prayer. He said that if God answered all of our prayers in the affirmative, if he did everything we prayed, he goes, that would not be proof of the efficacy of Christian prayer. You know why? It wouldn't be Christian prayer, right? It would be something more akin to magic. Say the words, you get the thing. That doesn't prove Christian prayer, right? Say the words, get the thing. That's called magic, Christian prayer is us asking requests of an infinitely wise God, a person, right? And he's infinitely wise so that we ought not to be surprised that sometimes he doesn't give us what we ask for. Sometimes he has reasons for not giving us what we ask for that we can't possibly understand. We can't possibly understand because of his just infinite wisdom, right? The, the fact that God sometimes says no to our prayers does not change the fact that prayer changes things. James says this, you have not because you ask not. The implication is there are things that might have happened if you would have asked for him. Blaise Pascal, another, I talked about church heroes, uh, history heroes last, last week. Blaise Pascal, another hero of mine, I don't have his head on my desk, but I am wearing socks with his face on them. <laughs> it's true, ask me later. But Blaise, is that distracting? Maybe. Blaise Pascal said this about prayer. Listen to this. This It's so cool. In prayer, God lends his creatures the dignity of causality. In prayer, God lends his creatures the dignity of causality. Prayer changes things. And I don't know, guys, how our effective prayer connects with his eternal decrees that he made before the foundation of the world. I don't know how that fits together. Maybe some of you do. I bet you don't. It's a mystery, which is awesome, right? But God assured us that prayer changes things. Your prayers matter. And so he says, pray for us. No, seriously, pray for us, right? He wants to be with them as soon as possible, so he asks them to pray. And he also wants to give them a blessing. Look at verse 20. This is a a blessing he wants to give them. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's a a benediction. And for those of you guys who have been with us for any length of time, you know what benedictions are because we do them at the end of service every time. A benediction is a blessing from the Lord through us to you, okay? It's a blessing from the Lord through us to you. A benediction is not a charge. It's not at the end of service we go like, hey guys, get out there and make us proud. You know, it's not a charge. It's not a prayer. It's not a doxology. So a prayer or doxology, the the orientation is upward. We're going to pray to God. We're going to give a doxology upward, right? It's a blessing. So it's coming down from God. It's coming down from God as a blessing to us. And so at the end of the service, one of us will stand before you, raise a hand, speak the blessing. And then we have a habit, a a custom of putting our hands out to receive that. The most famous benediction is in number six, where the Lord says this, speak to Aaron and his sons. Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, you guys are very familiar with this blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Those words are very familiar, but what's interesting right after it is he says, so you shall put my name on the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Right? What does that tell us? It tells us that benedictions have real effects. Benedictions are true, effective blessings from God if we receive them by faith. Right? If you receive this blessing by faith, it's effective, and so I want to look at some of the elements of this benediction here in Hebrews. I want to look at who's it from. I want to look at what is it promise, and then how will it happen. First, who's it from? Who are you receiving when we give you a benediction? Who are you receiving this promise from? And the one you're receiving it from is not us and not even the writer of Hebrews. You're receiving it from God. Specifically in this passage, he's the God of peace and of power. That's who's giving you this blessing. First, he's called the God of peace. Look at verse 21. It says, the God of peace. Don't you just love that? That our God is the God of peace. He's the God of peace in that he's given everything needed for us to have peace with him. Book of Hebrews is really about that, right? Our sin has separated us from God. There's nothing we could do about that ourselves. And yet God gave his own son to make a way of peace with him. A peace he did not need, by the way. A piece that we needed, right? Think about that, guys. Isn't that just totally overboard? That's totally overboard. Think about it. We sin against him, and then instead of judging us, he gives his own son to die for our sins. Doesn't that seem a little overboard? Doesn't it seem a little wild that he, he wants peace with us that badly? Let me ask you this. How hard do you try to make peace with people who wrong you? Not like that. He gives his own son. Isn't that amazing? He's a God of peace. But he's also got a God of peace in a more fundamental way, and this is really exciting, too. He's a God of peace in his being. In his own essence. He's a God of peace. God is at total peace within himself. Isn't that amazing? You guys remember the scene from Revelation 4. You've got like the throne of God, and you've got all the chaos that's happening down in the world. It looks like chaos, right? And before God, there's a what? A sea of glass, right? You say, "Well, why is that important?" The sea for the Jews represented all the chaos and the evil in this world, all the turmoil. You imagine the waves and the and just the they weren't a seafaring people, so you know it was scary. The sea was scary. It was chaos. It was evil. It was all the things in the world you can't control. And yet, before God's throne, it's glass, smooth as glass. That amazing. God is totally at peace within himself, and the good news about this is that that's a peace he can share with us, right? Would you like to share in his peace? I would like a little bit of that, right? You'd be like, Lord, give me some of that. I had a mentor. His name was Will, and he taught me how to abide in Christ, and he's gone home to be with the Lord now, but one day we were talking about anxiety. You remember Will, and you remember Will. One day he was talking to me about, you know, how to pray. I was dealing with a ton of anxiety, and he goes, Eric, he says, don't pray for your own peace. Don't pray for God to give you your own peace. Pray for God to share his peace with you. And I was like, oh, that's different. And he goes, and It he was so funny, he goes, you know, God's not all wound up about this, right? You know, God's not all, like, you know, freaked out, you know? He's not all, how am I gonna fix this, right? God has total peace within himself, and so he's like, Ask God to share his peace with you. Isn't that amazing? So God is a God of peace in that he's made peace with us through Christ, and he shares his perfect peace with us. He's also got a power. This text specifically points out his power in raising Jesus from the dead. Let me ask you this. How much power does that take to raise Jesus from the dead, right? It's, It's limitless. It's not like, hey, let's put in some nuclear reactors, and we'll get some power for this. You can't do it with any of the power of the world, Right? God has the power to raise Jesus from the dead. Look at verse 21. Now may the God of peace, and then this is the resurrection part, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. So Jesus, after he gave his life for our sins on the cross, God the Father raised him three days later from the dead. It's a beautiful thing, and it's so assuring that God did this because you know, it's like in the Old Testament when the high priest, you know, he would go into the Holy of Holies and he'd give the sacrifice for the people, right? And there's tradition that, like, they tied a rope to his leg and put a bell on. If the bell stopped jingling, they could just drag him out dead, right? That if God was going to strike him dead, they had a way to do that. It wasn't like, okay, now you, you know, like, no. It's like, pull him out, right? So just like the high priest, when he came out of the Holy of Holies alive, the Israelites could know that God really accepted their sacrifice. When Jesus emerged out of the grave alive, we were assured that God really has accepted his final sacrifice. Amen? It's amazing. It's this like statement of a raised him from the dead to say, this worked. And if this morning, maybe you don't know Christ, maybe you never trusted him, if, if this morning you trusted in what Jesus has done for you, for his death for you, you can be assured that it worked because Jesus was raised from the dead so this benediction is from the God of peace and of power. That's a great start, right? If you're going to get a blessing, this is probably who we want it from, right? (laughs) Okay, good. What's the benediction promise? Take a look at verse 21. To equip you with everything good that you may do as will. Let me ask you this. Do you guys have anxieties right now about whether you'll be equipped to deal with what God's put before you? You guys have anxieties about that? Do you have anxieties about whether you're equipped? Am I equipped to deal with what God's put before me right now? Do you have worries if you can handle it, right? And I'll list some things. Some of you guys already nodded. Some of you guys are like, I don't know. Let me list some things. How about a hard conversation you need to have? How about living with bodily pain? How about like drama in your family? How about something like same-sex attraction? How about work stress? How about like addictions or compulsions or things you just feel totally trapped in? Maybe a relationship you feel trapped in. Maybe money problems. Maybe it's something in your mind. Maybe it's bipolar disorder. Maybe it's ongoing loneliness that you don't really see an end to. Maybe it's sickness, right? We've got a lot of real stuff to deal with, don't we? When you think about I've mentioned this before, but as I stand here and look at you guys, Like, I don't know all the problems we deal with here, but I know enough to feel like that's crushing, you know? And so what do we do, (laughs) you know? What do we do when we don't feel like we can take it anymore, when we don't feel like we can do it anymore? And and what we do is, first thing we do is we say, I can't, (laughs) right? The first thing is just to admit, like, I can't. I can't deal with all these things, right? And then we receive this promise that the God of peace and of power, will equip you with everything good that you may do as will. Amen? Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Yes, yes right? He's going to do it. He's going to do it. So how does he do it? Well, look at verse 21. It's by God himself, verse 21, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So how how will we be able to deal with all the things that I just listed and all the things more? God will equip you to deal with it, anything you're facing, and he'll do it by working in your heart. So God's going to work in your heart through Jesus. And there's a Trinitarian thing going on here that isn't really obvious in the text, but we know from other passages it's how it works, that God the Father will equip you to do his will through Jesus living inside of you by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? It's a Trinitarian thing, right? That God the Father will equip you to do anything you're facing by causing Jesus to live in you by the Holy Spirit. Guys, that should do it, right? Right? I mean, do we have a more effective solution to the fears of the future than that? I'm open. Tell me. We don't, right? I mean, the solution we have to the fears of the future is that God the Father himself will cause Christ himself to dwell in us by the Spirit and empower us to do it. And I just want to ask you this this morning. Are you currently receiving that blessing? Like I said, that benedictions are effective if we receive it by faith, right? And um, at the end of our service, we, we do this thing where we put our hands out, and For some of you guys, it's super awkward, right? So we have the benediction, and the pastor puts his hand up, or whoever we have do it, puts his hand up, and then we put our hands out to receive it, and, and I know it's awkward for some of you. I get it. I come from a tradition where you don't use your body in worship, okay? So your body was just to bring your brain here, okay? Like, brain needed to show up because the brain does worship. The body transports the brain, right? So you don't use your body in worship, and I get it, and that's fine. Maybe we'll grow in it, You know, maybe use your voice, you know, but that's it, okay? And just let me tell you this, too. You don't have to put your hands out, okay? There's no biblical command to put your hands out. The reason why we do it, though, is that posture communicates something, right? Hands out and open say, Lord, I receive your blessing, right? And so I just want to ask you this morning, as I read that benediction to you, what are the hands of your heart doing, okay? Like, if you're not going to use your actual hands, let's talk about the little hands of your heart, okay? Okay? What are the hands of your heart doing as you hear this benediction? Like, what's the posture of your heart towards God, right? Is it out and open? Is your heart saying, I receive you, God of peace and God of power. I receive you, your peace that you give me through Jesus. I receive your peace into my heart. I don't want my own peace. I want your peace. Fill me with it. Right? That's what it means to receive this. I receive from you everything good to do your will. You're like, God, I know your will. My circumstances are very difficult for doing that, but I'm gonna receive everything good to do your will. I receive your son, Jesus, to live and to work in me all that is pleasing in your sight. And guys, if you receive that blessing this morning, if you receive it like that by faith, it's as good as done. It will happen. He will do it. And I know that from the little word at the end. It's amen. You guys know what amen means? It's not just like, hey, signing off. See ya. You know, like, no. Amen means this is true. There's a lot of ways to define it, but this is true. Remember how Jesus used to say, truly, truly, I say to you? He was using the word amen. He was saying, amen, amen, I say unto you. This blessing is truly, truly true. Like, if you trust in his word here, it will happen. Isn't that amazing? Amazing how he wants to bless you? He wants to bless you because on the cross, Jesus took our condemnation so that you could receive his benediction, right? On the cross, Jesus took all the condemnation our sin deserves so we could receive his benediction. And if you're in Christ, that's God's heart posture to you. If you're trusting in Christ, his posture towards you is totally benedictory. I don't know if that's appropriate wording. It's all blessing, That's his heart towards you. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that in Christ that his whole heart posture towards you is to bless you? And um, I want to ask you another question, though, based on that. What is your heart posture to everyone in this room? And this is a good time to ask that, right? Is it all blessing? Is it totally benedictory? The Lord is totally benedictory to you. He's all blessing to you. That's actually why we end the service that way. God's last word to you in this room is a blessing because you're in Christ. His final word to you is blessing. It's a picture of the gospel, right? And so if God's like that to you, we can pass that on to others. So think about the people in this room and just think about how you might pass the blessing on to them. So we should pray for each other. That's the first point of the passage. But we could also benedict each other, couldn't we? You guys know about the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers, that we are as believers. We're a, we're a kingdom of priests. We're a priestly people. You could give a benediction to others here. You could give a benediction to people in your family. It's something you can do in addition to prayer. So if somebody has some, some thing they're dealing with, you pray for them. You could also give them a benediction. Wouldn't that be awesome? And you could put your hand out. You could maybe not use your hands. That's okay. But you could put your hand out. You maybe put your hand on their shoulder. What's fun with your kids, put your hand on their foreheads, right? Just cover their whole forehead and do it, right? And speak God's covenant blessings over them. And you can maybe memorize this the Lord bless you. Imagine this somebody's like dealing with like racked with anxiety, racked with difficulty, racked with pain. You pray for them, you pray that God would heal them, and then you put your hand on them and you just say, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. How encouraging would that be to them? Isn't that cool? It's another thing in your toolkit, your ministry toolkit, right? And it's effective if they receive it by faith. One more thing, because of the time we live in. On your phone, there is an emoji of a hand like this. Okay, There's another emoji of a hand with an arm lifted up. That's your benediction emoji. (laughs) So what you do, you put that in, and then you put a biblical benediction in. Okay? You get it? Okay, that's the way that works. And I emailed you guys a jur- an article from the Journal of Biblical Counseling on benedictions, which is so awesome. How many of you guys read that? There's no extra credit. Okay, there is extra credit, actually. There's so few of you. Um, but this article, and I'll send it out again. It's so great just on, like, how to understand benedictions, and it's got a whole list of them that you could use. But he says, pray for us. He says, receive the blessing. And lastly, he says, this is kind of interesting. He says, bear with the word. Bear with it. Look at Verse 22. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, bear with my word of exhortation for I've written to you briefly. This is interesting, right? So they're receiving God's word and he tells them, bear with it. Like I, I sent you this letter, endure it, put up with it, persevere, you know, give it your attention, put some effort into receiving it, right? Isn't that interesting? You think like, well, why would they need to bear with it? And he goes, and he goes, hey, it isn't even that long, he says here. Like, I wrote you briefly, like, <laughs> bear with it, right? Why, does it, why do we need to bear with it? It takes about 45 minutes to read Hebrews, about the length of a sermon, bear with this. And it's in the form of a sermon too, right? If you notice, like, when you read Hebrews, it just launches in. It doesn't say, hey, I'm so-and-so, that's how we don't know who he is. It, it's a sermon, right? It, all the kind of lettery stuff is at the end. Maybe he couldn't speak it to them in person. He says he can't be with them right now like he wants to be. And so he wrote it down. Why would they need to bear with it? Think about that. You guys got any guesses? Why you need to bear with the book of Hebrews? Okay, they're going to be persecuted. Yeah. So applying it in in a difficult situation is bearing with it. I think that's definitely true. The book of Hebrews is surprisingly meaty, isn't it? right? Have you noticed that? It's surprisingly meaty. It's not just like something you just kind of go through and get it all right away. Like some of it takes real effort, right? Because remember the Melchizedek part? He even said to him, like, hey guys, I know I'm losing you right now. (laughs) Like it's that meaty, right? And it's like the Bible in general. There's some parts of the Bible that are very simple and easy to grasp. Even some of those parts we actually are taking out of context, but Some of the Bible is really simple and easy to grasp, and some of it is deep and takes a lot of effort, right? And you guys all have those parts of the Bible you're like, I don't know if I'm ready to do that. That's quite a project, right? I want to commend you guys as a church, though, for being so excited to bear with the Word. I love that about you guys. So fun. We can do a book of Hebrews, we can get into some real depth, and you enjoy it. Like, you enjoy bearing with the Word, right? You enjoy putting in the effort to really dig up the depths of God's Word. And I just want to encourage you in the spirit of verse 22, this year, bear with the word even more. Put some effort into it, right? We don't like to talk sometimes in in circles like ours about putting any kind of effort in. You got to put some effort into this, right? Some parts of God's word take take real effort to extract. How many of you guys like pomegranates? You like the taste of them? How many of you guys like eating pomegranates? This is a total hassle, they're like tiny, little like, drops of things, and there's a big seed, and it's like, there's a lot of work, but it tastes amazing, right? Guys, God's Word takes some work and some parts. Keep digging. Dig to discover more and more that, that you can in the Scriptures. And maybe join a Bible study. Dig with friends. That makes it easier. You're going to dig a hole? You guys are going to dig together. But it, it takes effort. But guys, it's so worth it. Wouldn't you agree? Think of the things that you've discovered in God's Word through real effort, you spent some time. You really meditated on it. You really kind of like chewed on it, right? You really meditated on the Word. You took it in. You, you chewed it up. You extracted the juices. You really dug in, right? It's worth it, right? I mean, the things you get from it are worth it. I mean, think of all the things we got from Hebrews. It was so worth it. Hebrews is not an easy book, but it's so worth it. The great things we saw about Jesus. I was listening to um, Jackie Hill Perry read the book of Hebrews, you didn't even know that was available, huh? It is. Ask me later. I'll tell you where to find it for free. But I was listening to Jackie Hill Perry read the whole book of Hebrews yesterday, and I was just making a list of some of the amazing things we've seen. And so as we close, I just want to show you this. I want to show you this so you're encouraged like, that the effort's worth it. You know, the effort to dig into God's word's worth it. Look at some of the amazing things we've seen. We saw that Jesus is better than the prophets because he is God's word. He's better than the angels because he's Lord of all. Jesus is better than Moses because he gives us a better exodus. He's better than Joshua because he leads us to the true promised land. Jesus is better than the Sabbath because he gives us real rest for our souls. Jesus is better than the high priest because He's true access to God. He's better than the sacrifices because he gives us full forgiveness. Jesus is better than Melchizedek because he's the true perfect priest king. Jesus is better than Abel because his blood speaks a better word. Jesus gives us a better hope, he gives us a better better possession, a better covenant, a better resurrection, and Jesus gives us better food. He feeds us with grace. Why would we ever want to stray from a God like that? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for the book of Hebrews. We thank you for giving us that desire to, to dig into it, that, that desire to seek you. We know even that desire is a gift from you. Even that desire for your word, a desire to to consume it and dig into it and, and, and eat it, Lord, is a, a gift from you. So we thank you for giving us that inclination, and we thank you, Lord, for rewarding our labors. We thank you for showing yourself in your word. We thank you that you're the kind of God who speaks and who reveals. Lord, we know we couldn't know any person if they don't actually reveal themselves to us, but how much more are you we could never know you unless you revealed yourself to us, and you've been so gracious to do it through your word and ultimately through your son, Jesus Christ, and so we thank you. We pray, Lord, as we take communion, we take it with happy hearts, uh, receiving once again your presence by the Spirit. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.